0: Um, So now we will go ahead and um, turn it over to Steve, and Steve, I'll let you introduce um, our topic and introduce our our guest speakers today.
1: Uh, For the last, uh, well, March will be our fifth year of taking a medical mission to an area uh, a town called Setsima, you really can't call it a town, it's more of a small community. But it is nestled in the Guatemalan highlands. it's a very remote area. It takes us a day and a half to get there from, uh, from the United States. We usually go uh, fly into Guatemala City and then drive for four hours, uh, stay at a hotel, and then another four, four and a half hours to get into this area. This is working with the uh, Kachi Mayans. They are um, a fascinating group, uh, about three quarters of a million people. Um, <coughs> They're one of the few Mayan tribes that actually fought the Spanish conquistadores to a standstill. Uh, They could not, the conquistadores could not defeat them. Uh, But over a period of 500 years, as the migration of settlers and things went into this area, and then militias and towns and things, they became subjected to what was going on. The area is actually called Alta Verapaz, which means high peace because of the fact that it wasn't conquered by war. It was conquered by uh, subjection, but it wasn't conquered by war. So uh, the Koban region is uh, one of the most uh, inhospitable areas, especially when it was back like in 1940, 1950. it was, uh, the, the canopy of the forest and everything was so thick that it rained 365 days a year. So you can imagine what it's like living in that kind of humidity and I mean, the Mayans did it well, they flourished, they had a great civilization there. Uh, but then there were some events that happened in Guatemala and all of that land was taken over by Germans, British and Americans and they had huge farms, 22,000 acres of peace, and and they subjected the Mayans and it became more of a slave situation. So, uh, it's a long story and I won't get into that, but we we decided that this was an area, I was working with a group of Mennonites who were doing a healthcare project there, um, and they were supported by the government. Uh, They had a contract with the government to do it, we were there we went there for two years because we do purity medicine and they were doing uh, primary health care and uh, supportive kind of roles for the community. The government dropped the funding and uh, so we ended up being the only health care organization that was actually going there and that was a week a year which doesn't do a lot but we decided we'd continue it until we could devise or do something a little bit more comprehensive and work in that area. Uh, last, I can't even remember when it was but it was uh, at the end of last year, uh, we had actually been working with uh, College of Engineering and their Fugeot Institute which is their missions, engineering missions. Uh, Caleb was uh, working with that. Carrie Patterson's actually the director of that and uh, we started talking about maybe doing something that would be more of a comprehensive program. I won't call it completely permanent because it will only work in an area for a period of time that it's actually helpful to the area and then they'd move someplace else. But Setzima was a German um, <coughs> farm. Uh, it was taken over. The Germans were actually shipped back to Germany in World War II. It was taken over by the government, and then they turned it over to the Mayans a few years back in the 80s, and uh, the water systems and things that were actually there deteriorated, and so it's uh, one of our big problems that we have there is, is water for, for medicine. So, um, in talking with Carrie and them, they wanted some place. to to be able to train engineers and give them the idea of vocation and missions. And this is a good area to do that in. Uh, So we've been talking with them about opening up a larger uh, work in that area that would touch several different aspects of, of community flourishing, one of them being water, Others, there would be other projects too, and then the medical mission that we're doing. Uh, This is Caleb Meeks. We actually support him in the Fugeot Institute for what we're doing. Kerry Patterson is supposed to be here and I saw him upstairs, but I don't know what happened (laughs) to him. But Caleb is now the director of that developing program, and we're still trying to figure out exactly what all of this is going to look like. Uh, We have several different elements and I'll let him talk about that. One (coughs) of the things that I love about this is, is we have very different elements that are contributing to this one is the disciple making movements Uh, another one is a Mayan organization that uh, while it is not Christian in its own right all of the people that are in it are Christians and uh, they do water projects so we're partnering with them Uh, and uh, we're looking at starting this process by doing a water project in Setsima. And then eventually there's just tons of villages outside of that. And again, the biggest problem we have is disease, waterborne diseases. So we're gonna continue starting that. One of the things that I loved about um, this was one of the ways that engineering decided to start this. And I think this was an initiative of Caleb was the idea of actually going there, talking with the Mayan organization, but then doing a prayer wo- prayer walk through the community that we're talking about, uh, working in, in as far as the development. So I'll leave that up to Caleb to talk a little bit about that and explain what you were doing and mm-hmm. maybe some of those other broader picture things.
0: Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I can't take credit for the idea. It was actually uh, Kevin Colvet and a brainstorming session that came up with the idea of going down and praying. Um, all of this is generated from a desire for from within us to see kingdom coming uh, completely through the physical and the spiritual in an integrated, uh, integrated way. Uh, we've done some amazing things with God and um, there have been incredible, beautiful physical service, performed. Uh, we also long to see the healing of people's hearts and relationships too. Uh, so what is our role in that? What's our place in that? Especially as people who live very far away and I at least don't speak any Quechi or any Spanish yet. Um, so this has been a journey for us and uh, a spiritual journey, so a pilgrimage. Uh, and It started with going with, with a couple of us going down to Setsima just to listen I think one of the biggest things we're learning is that uh, oftentimes, especially as engineers, if you know any engineers, you can attest to this, we are ready to fix the problem before we've even heard anything about it. <laughs> you know, it's just the way we operate. and We want to fix the world, which is good. God's given us that. Um, but it's hard for us to listen, and so we decided we've got to listen first. We want to listen to God. What does God want to do here? We want to listen to our partner organization, Attica, <coughs> who's, they've already, they're Christians who have been listening to God and already have a heart for serving <coughs> these communities let's what is their dream, and then listening to the community itself and hearing what their dream is so that was the that was the theme of the trip we went down and we tried to just listen as best we could to to God and the community um, and that was sort of the first small baby step in this big dream of seeing the kingdom coming in a holistic way, uh, wanting to find out what god's plans were. One of the things that we've learned is that uh Instead of trying to enact your big dream in somebody else's backyard, uh, maybe you ought to go and find out what big dream God has put on their heart and then just see what part you have to play in it. Um, so that was, that's what we did. And I've got lots of stories of how that yeah. unfolded. I don't know how much time I have to, to I answer. Have a question. couple of those stories. <laughs> um, <clears throat> there, were, there were two, um, two guys, two, two people, both named Mario. <laughs> interestingly enough, who, I, I, who meant a lot to me on that trip. When we first arrived, you know, like Steve was saying, it's, an, it's a day and a half journey to get there. It's a pleasant-ish uh, day and a half. You're driving through the mountains, so as long as you don't get car sick, you're good. Um, it's beautiful once you get there. Uh, we got in right as the sun was going down. Um, and There were about 10 community members, 10, ten leaders who came out to, to greet us and to hear from us. And of course it's this chain of them speaking Quechí and then it being translated to Spanish and then us hearing it in English. And mostly we were just listening and our partner organization was dealing with a conversation. But we have been specifically praying about and using the terminology Big Dream and um, kind of holding on to the idea of people, people pray. I honestly believe that even atheists pray it's like this innate thing that we have to do our souls do it even if we're just groaning on the inside it's still a kind of prayer and God hears people crying out and he longs to answer them just like you longed to answer the slaves in Egypt um, and we want to be a part of God answering those prayers but he knows what those prayers are and what what's going on more, way better than we do which is why we have to go in and listen so when we were meeting with that group, I believe it was Mario. It was a guy that I tried to, I tried to meet. At least I got his name, which is pretty impressive, I think, between like me not knowing Spanish and him not knowing Spanish, but more than me, um, and definitely no English. Um, but in in the dusk, as the sun's setting, I can really just make out silhouettes of these these men, and they're speaking through Kechi. And we had already told our, um, our translator that what we were coming for. You know, we were praying that God would show us what is his big dream in this valley and what are these people praying for. So when she, she translated back to us, she turned and she, she already knew what had said, and her eyes lit up and she said, he said, this community member said, that their big dream is to see God bring water to everybody in the community and that they've been praying for it for a long time. <laughs> that was her. And so it was just this great, almost um, on-the-nose answer to and that was the beginning of the conversation. There were two more days of, of God answering prayers and surprising us. Um, so as the time unfolded, uh, we, we went and looked at the water system and did our engineering stuff. Um, honestly, the local partner did all the engineering stuff, and we just tried to find out what was happening because it was all in KT. Um, but one of the things that happened was uh, as we were walking along, uh, this little kid, was walking with us and he was a little bit more ragged than the rest of the little children. He had little sores on his legs and um, you could tell his body was much smaller than his head. He'd probably been malnourished, uh, pretty, very dirty. He, was, he and his sister were both a lot rougher than the other kids, kind of just prone to these bouts of anger. And you can kind of tell when a kid has had a harder, harder life. All those kids have had um, challenges in their lives. So I asked about him, and again, um, I don't know if who among you know Kata, uh, who's very close to the the Shermans and the Golvets, but she was translating for us, and she said, yeah, when we come on the medical mission trips, this boy, Mario, uh, he comes and he, he, wants, he always wants to help me with the food. And at first I couldn't figure out why he was so eager to help, but it's because when he would take the scraps out, he would be, he would eat the remainder off of the the watermelons or or whatever little scraps were left. And so she said, I called him in and I said, Mario, are you hungry? And he said, yes. She said, can I get you some food? I'm I'm gonna give you some food and I wanna watch you eat it. He said, no, please let me take it back to my mom and my sister, because they are hungry too. And he wouldn't eat it. He wanted to take it and share it. Um, His father is a drunkard. He's always drunk, and he consumes a lot of the resources. And on that walk, it dawned on me that, of course, we have to have water is going to bring life. It really is. Like, they need clean water, and um, you can tell that that it's taking its toll, the fact that they have to take their kids out of school to go get water, the fact that they don't have clean water when they do get it often. Um, But I also just longed to see Mario's... Um, life intersect with the new life that can come from Jesus. The life to the full that's described in John. Um, And the only only way that that redemption can come about is just an act of God changing people's hearts. We want to be a part of the whole picture. We want to be a part of those springs of life that come um, both in the physical and the spiritual and see that spiritual thing conveyed in a sacrament, this divine representation in the physical. So that was our trip. It really was just listening and hearing, I think, honestly, um, aligning our hearts with what God's heart already was there. God says, delight yourself in the Lord, and, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. I really think that really means set your desires in line with what God wants, and then he's like, okay, now let's go. Let's do this. So it was a blessing to see that, and I can't wait to see what what God does next in that valley, and um, we're excited to see what what part we might get to play
1: in that, what part you get to play in that. Maybe talk about the other groups that are involved. Uh, we've been in a lot of discussions with like the disciple making movements. How does that view, and how does that fit into the overall idea of of the serving that we would like to do in that community? Mm-hmm.
0: So strangely enough. Um, all my experiences in Africa, <laughs> so I speak Swahili, it doesn't do me any good <laughs> as far as I can tell so far. Um, but uh, what that has done is uh, connected us to, we've, we've been connected with some organizations that are working primarily in Africa. There's some stuff going on in Honduras that's really exciting. And they're doing disciple making movements. Um, and uh, this was kind of, it wasn't readily intuitive to me, the difference between or, like what I mean, what we mean by a disciple you can just you can be a Christian um, and be at the beginning stages of a disciple but kinda like the um, you know the the seed that hits the shallow soil you grow up quick and then you kinda get stunted and you're stuck there. But a disciples are always going deeper with Jesus. Uh, there's somebody who has chosen to daily die to themselves and keep pursuing Jesus. Which is just different than cultural Christianity. I was born a Christian I grew up in a Christian home so sure I'm a Christian check the Christian box um, we want to see disciples and I think that's what Jesus is longing for people to get to be um, so we want to see movements of that happening and there are people who are doing amazing work uh, all over the world but a lot of it's really blossomed in in Africa West Africa I don't know how familiar you guys are with that um, but there's some organizations that are starting these disciple-making movements where they, they they lead people through a process of discovering God through Scripture in obedience, and when you taste and see that God is good through Scripture, it changes things. Like it, is, it really is alive and will change you, and you do that in community and you do that in a way that says we've got to share this, and it can start spreading. And there are movements that are happening now all over the world. There's one in Honduras that is is. Um, like 16, 17 generations deep, where groups have started, groups have started, groups, and there's like 30,000 people who, are, who, have, who have become disciples. And um, Sierra Leone, West Africa, we're working with an organization that's been involved in a movement of like 120,000 people. I mean, there's very large groups of people. It's 1, a million six hundred thousand 600,000. Oh a million I guess. So that's, that's way bigger than what I thought it was. Um, so, we've been blessed to connect, be connected with this organization, which is like out of Murfreesboro. It's awesome, it's right here. Um, so, our question was okay, we're, what we do is kind of community development. We want to bring on, be a part of God, bringing in these bringing in water systems, health. We're really good at the hands and feet part. What does it look like for disciple making to be a part of that? There's some really good examples of that in West Africa, um, in Sierra Leone. There's, there are a lot of community development efforts underway just being done by the Africans themselves. They're bringing in wells, they're bringing in seed banks, they're bringing in all kinds of small um, ways to bless the communities that they enter into. So we're actually learning from our brothers and sisters in Christ from Africa to teach us how to do these types of things. Um, so there's an organization called Final Command that we're connected with. Uh, there's some people in Honduras that we're connected with we're going to be learning from um, and there there are others this is, there's a really good healthy growing community of people who are trying to figure out what does this look like to do this integrated um, discipleship and community development so we're learning
2: Caleb I'd love to hear a little bit about your story um, you you know at some point you figured out or someone taught you or led you to kind of take your vocation and sort of your career path and kind of harness it for the kingdom and you've sort of made this conversion one of our goals for the class was this idea of inspiring with transformation you've seen you've obviously been transformed and now you're this you know you're this passionate minister and missionary but talk about that transition with you and your family and just Mm -hmm. what that road looked like for you
0: I think um, and, you know, what's interesting is a lot of what we're trying to do is engage students <clears throat> at Lipscomb. That's our goal, too, is to get them to be missional, kingdom-centered engineers, yeah. or whatever they are. Um, I think for me, I grew up as a missionary kid, so I kinda, there's no hope I was already <laughs> you know, in that world. And my parents were missionaries in Kenya, East Africa, and then moved back to the States, but just kept being missionaries where they were. Um, so at an early age, I kind of thought, I think I want to be a missionary. A lot of it was nostalgia. It wasn't, as I look back, really, it was a, it was not calling. Uh, it became a calling, though. In college, I met, or I got to know better my wife, Christina, uh, who was a missionary kid also. We both knew we wanted to do missions, and I thought, well, seems like engineering would go well with missions, and so I'll study engineering. So I did, uh, and then God opened doors for us to move to Tanzania uh, for we thought 10 years ended up being five years, we got kicked out, <laughs> long story. Um, but uh, through that process, God started stripping away some of the, my assumptions of why I wanted to be a part of missions. And um, I think it's cool that now I'm in, uh, involved in Guatemala, which was never on my radar or even something I wanted to do. <laughs> but now we're, we're, we're really involved. Um, I think that as I look at these students, what engages them, is um, when you taste and see the kingdom happening in somebody's life, it's so attractive. You have somebody over for a meal, and if your home is just full of the kingdom, you have you treat your wife and your kids a certain way. You are treating them with true hospitality and listening to them. That that is so attractive. Um, and then, of course, if you if part of your life is wanting to see the kingdom coming in other people's lives, then that or it's this alignment thing where they, people get oriented towards, well, what if, what about me? What, how, what does that look like for me? Some of it's just good stories from, from missionaries who, who tell what God's been doing and how he does it. Um, but I think that having people, being around somebody who gets the vision, even, even with Jesus, it was his disciples being around him that made them have this vision for reaching all the people. Um, so get around somebody who's like that and be that person for other people too. Yeah.
2: Last question for me, I want to hear questions from you all um, as well. But your parents are in Angelico, mm-hmm. right? And this is Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to hear just a little bit about the way you all talk now that you're sort of in this full-time mission arena. Mm-hmm. How similar, uh, what, what similarities are there between something so domestic and something so foreign? Mm-hmm. And I think we probably we would all agree that it's very similar but I'd love to hear how you've noticed how yeah. it's similar
0: I think maybe um, uh, the most obvious uh, way that that or the way that that's become the most obvious to me how they are similar is when we came back to the States um, we went through some reentry counseling because it's hard to come from this completely different context and back into another uh, what feels like should be home context. And some of those, uh, all the people counseling us were, had been missionaries for a long time overseas and came back to the States. And they said, um, you are not, you haven't stopped being a missionary. You're just in a, another different culture and another, Nashville speaks a different language. <laughs> you know, use all those skills and just assume that you're a foreign missionary and you'll, you'll feel at home. Mm-hmm. And it's true. We're just missionaries in Nashville. And there, There's a people group that we work with called college students. God help them. Um, we need them. We need their hearts captured. Um, and so that uh, perspective has freed us to just uh, Love enjoy the cross-cultural and weird quirks of being in Nashville hard hardships It's not that hard to be in Nashville. Our, fam- our family is really close by. It's way better than being in Africa. Our family is really far away um, but I think growing up, it was interesting to watch my parents who had had a very successful time in Kenya uh, have a very difficult time in rural Appalachia where things were just moving so slow. And then for us, we were on the, the Muslim coast of Africa um, on, the, on the Eastern coast, again, moving very, very slow. For my parents in Kenya, at year four, they had like 200 congregations. For us at year four, we had like Two people who were studying the Bible with us—you know—they weren't yet Christians—and so we were like, "What is going on?" And I, what ha- what we came to realize was that we are not uh, the mission. God's Spirit has been working for a long time, and we are just a part of what He's doing all over the world through lots of people. And it just so happens that my parents came into Kenya at the end of probably like a hundred years of other people of God coming and being faithful and laying the groundwork for them to just harvest. Mm-hmm. And we just happened to come into Tanzania at the, at the early stages. We are laying the groundwork for something 50, 60, 70, 100, past, after we're dead, years. And that's okay. It's okay to be a part of the kingdom in that way. Um, and now God has us here, a part of something else he's doing, and that's okay too. So wherever you are, it's the mission.
2: Yeah. Other questions? Or from you on?
3: Thank you for your work in uh, Guatemala, is it? <laughs> uh, my mind is stuck on Mario. Uh, what kind of future do you think Mario is going to have? Uh, does he have access to education um, as well as many other kids in the areas mm-hmm. that you work in? What kind of future do they have?
0: Mm-hmm. Actually, you might be able to answer that know better than me. Yeah.
1: Um, <coughs> Well, it, uh, the, uh, as far as education goes, they do have a school there. Uh, it's not well organized. Uh, the government pays teachers, but the teachers come in from outside. So any excuse they have to not be there, they're not there. Uh, so that's a uh, a big issue. Um, all I can speak of as far as what the future might look like is what I was involved in a medical missions in 21 years in Guatemala in another area in a different Mayan tribe and uh, doing the medical mission doing the water projects um, one of the larger visions that we have is maybe even getting education involved social work uh, and, and again it's not our North American team doing those things, it's, it's more the North American team helping to facilitate and educate others so they can do that because we cannot, one of the things that I've learned in mission work is I cannot do very good mission work in comparison to somebody who is a native from that area and has come to know Christ. They can do 20 times better than I can, mm-hmm. but I can help facilitate that, so that's what we're hoping to do here is to facilitate uh, uh, letting people know that they're not alone, that we care for them, that and and one of the other things, I told this story before, but it's one of the ones that just blows my mind every time I think about it, is last year we had uh, the director now for Health Talents that I was a director of for many years. My wife, uh, uh, Chose to get uh, train some women so that they could cook for the medical team that was coming in because there were surgeons and we didn't want them getting sick and unable to do what they were going to be doing for that work. And one of the women brought in a nine-year-old girl, her daughter, to cut up the vegetables and everything else. Well, they did, uh, and she, her daughter was there every year, every time we had these teams, and we were doing them quite often. Uh, and we did that. Magda and I did not know this until last year. This nine-year-old girl is now one of the medical doctors for the clinic. And what I'm convinced about is, uh, through a diff- several different things that happened, one, one of the main things was, is I think just this unbelievable kind of a connection where we have engineers who are men and women who are going down there and doing these things. All of a sudden, there's something that happens, a transformation in somebody's mind, and they think, they're doing this, I can do this. And so there's a different, maybe a transformation that even happens that way, in some ways that we don't even see exactly happening. I mean, I didn't know the final story, and it was exciting to hear. I was there to do medical missions, I was there to do a lot of different things, but God was working in a completely different way to give this little girl a vision of something that she is now doing something far better than what we as foreigners can do. Um, so that's the idea behind this, is, is the fact that we will be involving different aspects of uh, uh, talents and skills and things in order to maybe stimulate that happening there. Uh, one of the things that disciple-making movements that I love about it is, is that within two generations, uh, they couldn't give you the name of a missionary from somebody outside because it's, it's disciples making disciples making disciples. And uh, so I, I think that kind of a vision and that kind of hope of just helping them realize the dreams that maybe they haven't even verbalized uh, can bring about some transformation because of our confidence that God's working in us also.
3: Yeah. My name's Debbie. I apologize for being right. i was canceling somebody else too. <laughs> but, um, anyway, I will just say when I was a little girl I wanted to be a candy striker at the hospital. And my parents are like, "No, we're too busy doing church work. We can't get you back and forth. You got to go for training." Blah blah blah. So I just kind of let it let it go. You know, my best friends got to do it, but I didn't get to. Well, fast forward about three four years, and I decided, well, I'll be a teacher. So I go to college to be a teacher. Graduate, can't get a license in Georgia because let's go need to keep up with their classes. So couldn't get a teaching position so 1978 I've got college debt not a whole lot but college debt so I went to work typing contracts in a real estate office little did I know how that would lead into a 30-year legal career I left the law office about 10 years ago teach they had an emergency need for teachers in georgia and so i got that emergency certificate and i taught special ed having never taken a single special ed class in my life so what i say is if you listen to god and you're ready for whatever door opens i taught three weeks and had a stroke then my husband left me then my church abandoned me then Everything just fell apart. And that was a very rough period of my life. I've been homeless more than once. I've lived in all kinds of battered women's shelters. But I, now, life is so rich. I had no idea what God was up to. I now live in public housing. Yeah, first of all, this is the roughest weekend because everybody gets those checks and it's a drunken brawl all weekend long. But you know what, I'm there to pray for those people. I'm there to call 911 if I have to to protect a child, which is what I wanted to do in the classroom. You know, I taught Sunday school for years until I was diagnosed with lupus. I couldn't get up and down out of the floor to sing my cradle world songs. So I say, if you put your life in God's hands, just like you know those college students That you're working with now. They're changing the world, aren't they? Mm
2: -hmm.
3: And that's the way God works. You know, I love hearing you compare Africa to Appalachia Mm -hmm. because it's just like comparing Brentwood to Jefferson Street Bridge. You know, there are similarities, there are differences, but it's all about souls crying out for God. by the way last sunday my 90 year old uncle who was behind the hatfield mccoy uh, problems in our family since 1948 was baptized at age 90. (laughs) (laughs) he and my dad brawled and my dad died six years ago so i was so excited Mm -hmm. because we know uncle glenn won't live much longer he woke up his wife at 3 a.m said now is the day well we can't go right now we gotta wait <laughs> we so i just say you never know it's like paul says somebody plants the seed, somebody else waters mm-hmm. but if a searching, find it.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: okay thanks for letting me share thank you for sharing
2: <laughs> kayla on that same note i mean you're talking with lots of college students um what what does that conversation sound like for the ones that haven't yet figured out that they could devote their vocation to the kingdom of God. Have you ever seen those light bulbs go off and what does that look like in your world?
0: Yeah, I think uh, one person sticks out in my mind. A guy named Sam. I met him sophomore year. I don't even know why, but we had lunch together and I asked him, well, what do you want to do with your life? And he was like, ah, maybe I'll be a, a National Geographic photographer or and he just started making this list, and and I kind of glazed over because I was thinking, this kid has the most um, the unfulfilling plans for his life. <laughs> like poor guy, <laughs> even though they sound really adventurous, um, it's all just for himself, and that's gonna he's gonna be really empty. Uh, but since then, he's he got to he went with me to uh, one of our projects in West Africa, and got to be in our home and eat a lot of meals and. Uh, he came about a, a month and a half ago to us, and he said, "I want, I want to, I want to just ask you and your wife questions about what is it like, what does it take to be a missionary?" Because um, I think he he sees that there's something just way better. Um, I have, I feel so sorry for our college students because um, there uh, many of them have been have totally swallowed the lie of. Uh, go and uh, be uh, run and chase chase the the life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Which even at the, if you get on the other side of that, you're going to be still hungry and not full. There's, you might be richer, which can be good. God can use that. Um, but what does it look like to be a disciple and do engineering? Um, so just having that question in their minds is something they're learning to even want to have. Um, so, I hope that there are so many of them that just I can tell they they just want to go make money. They just want to go make money. There's nothing wrong with, with money. God uses money. Jesus used money. Um, but if that's, that's all your goal, there's a great Jim Carrey quote that says, I wish everybody would go and uh, be successful and make a bunch of money so that they could realize that that wasn't fulfilling. <laughs> so, I think that's a lot of what college students are. They're working so hard so they get a good job. And, um, we want to cast a vision for for something a little bit deeper, um, and it happens for some students yeah I think it's we, we 've only been there two years now so we haven't we 've seen a couple people graduate and start being intentional um, One of the guys we really just spent a lot of time with is Caleb Janelle who goes here and is really he was already a missional guy though can 't take credit for him god God already had been working on his heart so
3: I love your description of uh, the disciple being um, going deeper, and you know, Christian is such a sur- almost a surfacey term these days. You know, we're in a Christian nation and all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, but to be an intentional follower of Jesus is is a whole is a whole other level, mm-hmm. a whole other depth of things. Um, I'm just curious to you know what your what the next steps are in, in your plans, and you're mm-hmm. you know going back at some point, I guess and yeah. Is there a continuity
0: of a plan? I'm sure there is. <laughs> well, we we're trying to figure that out. Uh, in Tanzania, I remember, you know, you w- I don't know, you go to work and you wake up and you're like, okay, I have got these things to get done. For me in Tanzania, it was all right. I'm going I'm to convert 1.4 million people. <laughs> you know, it's like the most ridiculous job description ever. Um, and pretty quickly, you realize, hold on, I I am not capable of this. This has got to be God. And who I, who do I even start with? There's so many people. How you're going to have to invest so much time in just one person, you know, to really disciple. <laughs> Jesus could only do it with 12, but he's got, you <laughs> it takes time. And so you've got to know who to invest in. And so it starts with listening to God and saying, okay, God, you know whose hearts are ready. Please send us to those people uh, and make us ready to receive them, invest in them. And there's a great, Shadonke Johnson, uh, one of the disciple making movement leaders in, Af- in Africa Uh, who I hope becomes one of my mentors. Um, He says, uh, go small to go big. And what he means by that is, invest in a few people deeply and get them investing in other people deeply and then things happen over time. And so, right now, the the next action is, uh, we asked our partners to pray with us. It was so cool, you guys. In Guatemala, uh, there are people from in, this, in Setsima, there are people from all kinds of different backgrounds, all, all Christians, service-level Christians. Um, but when it came time to pray, everybody was praying, and they pray all out loud together. And so we had people in Spanish, and of course we're praying in English, and uh, there's other people praying in Kechi, and there's other people, you know, there's, it's, a, it's all these different backgrounds who normally would fight, but they're willing to pray together. What a good starting place, asking God Come in and take this. We don't, I don't want to be a bit of part of something if God's not doing it. You know, do you? Um, otherwise we'll just spin our wheels and, and then someday wake up and wonder if it was the right thing to do. Um, so praying is the first step. We're going to be praying and fasting with them leading up to a trip in November to go and do an assessment. Want to pray again then? Um, that Praying and fasting is the first step to any kind of movement that God makes. Um, and that's a f- that's our, we know that first step, <laughs> um, and we're in the process of trying to learn from some of our brothers and sisters of, in Africa, um, what what they did and how they can how we can be intentional about the steps that follow that. Uh, there's a great verse, well, like probably my life verse, Psalm thirty seven verse three through seven a, that I'm gonna misquote. But I'm gonna try to paraphrase that basically says. um Do good, befriend faithfulness, trust in God, and He will act. Delight yourself in the Lord, He'll give you desires of your heart. Uh, Wait on Him, and He will act. And I love that do good part, because sometimes I don't know what ten steps ahead are going to be, but I always have something good in front of me to be faithful with. I'm going to befriend faithfulness. Faithfulness and I are going to hang out, and we're going to do the good thing in front of us. And that feels like the stage we're at right now. We know we need to be praying. We know to be asking God to give us those later steps. And thankfully, he's sent us a lot of really... I'm kind of just like the little young guy who's going and getting really wise people involved <laughs> and asking them, What's the, what do you think God wants us to do? Um, and we're learning. So it's pretty, it's pretty early on in, this, in the planning, but we know to do those first things first. Didn't really answer your question except for to say we're praying. If you'd be willing to pray with us, that'd be great.
1: <laughs> we appreciate it. Other questions? One thing I might mention that I think's pretty interesting and we're actually gonna have a class inviting them in, but uh, the disciple making movements actually used to be called church planning movements. Uh, and they decided to change their name because of the reason of when you think of church planting movements is putting a Methodist church in Africa or a Church of Christ in Africa. And they said, that's not what our purpose is. Our purpose is to make faithful followers of Jesus. And so what we want more than anything else is to create or, or help people become disciples who are following the way of Jesus. And that cuts across all of those Barriers, and one of the biggest problems we've had, we've seen in Guatemala, especially in these areas, is the assemblies of God are fighting the Catholics or fighting the Mennonites, and it's one of those things where they can't cooperate at all. And so, part of the disciple-making movement is calling people back to to living and acting like Jesus, and that goes into deep Bible study, trust in the Holy Spirit, and allowing those those barriers that have been there for for years that we've created um, to hopefully be destroyed so that communities can work together. And um, so that's that's part of this philosophy and that's why we especially invited disciple making movements to be part of this. Mm-hmm. Caleb
2: you alluded to when you got back from Tanzania you had some people counseling you through sort of that reentry process and um, you know their suggestion to you you said was just basically continue being a missionary as if you were on foreign soil. Mm-hmm. So, talk to me. Pretend I am um, the stereotypical middle-aged middle Tennessean, and um, and, and I don't want to overgeneralize, but generally speaking, my profile would be: I have work, and I have family, and I have church. Sort of these compartments. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, what would you? What would your advice be to me? If I were to allow God to, um, to make my life more missional, we were going to try to reign in each of those circles or maybe even integrate those circles. Yeah. Um, talk a little bit about from your experience there how that could be done.
0: If you, if you remember, um, Steve said the best people t- to do the work are the, the locals, are the, are the people who speak the language. So you are the local. <laughs> like You're the guy who speaks Middle Tennessee and, and you have this huge network. Uh, that the gospel could spread through um, so you're the guy who we've been hunting for and want to engage to be a part of this disciple make, making movement happen um, it star- I think that any uh, God has plans for you plans to prosper you he, he has plans for you to be a part of his kingdom um, and he also wants your input he likes your ideas I think the starting place at least in my experiences has been uh, Go to God and ask him. Go, go car- like carve out some time to just walk with God. Literally, go take a walk and pray. And just say, God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to be available? Um, and as, train your heart to be attentive to the spirit. Because it's the spirit who knows exactly which neighbor who needs you to come over and offer to mow the lawn. And that will just mean something to them. You know, You can't orchestrate that you can be available to god and just work really hard to become available to god and he'll he'll act he'll put you in all kinds of crazy situations to use you uh, i think that in the churches of christ are um, we have we really do a good job of of loving and pursuing scripture and we sing really well <laughs> every song is a prayer and so we're it's the first i think it's the gateway to prayer but uh a lot of our brothers and sisters overseas they just they know how to pray like they're good at it. they're very creative. We have like one way of praying. They have so they'll get in a circle and, and kind of dance along and there's one person who's praying the main prayer and then other people are praying off on the side and they know what they're praying about specifically and they'll I're mean, just very proactive about we've got to be praying so let's find a creative way to pray. We, when we pray it's like one person up in front or maybe by ourselves and it's it's a list so go. Oh, man, start praying talk, talk to God it seems obvious yeah. but ask God and he will start aligning your heart and you'll just start seeing and being connected to the stuff he wants you to do in your neighborhood and it'll be better and different than you imagined seems like my experience
2: thank you for being here thank yeah, you all I appreciate your, your story mm-hmm. and uh, you being with us today thank you all thanks for coming uh, if you're not already on the email list I'd love to include you so give me a give me a card or um, let's write it down before you leave today and we'll give you class updates. Thanks.